you want to take your Bibles and turn open with me to 2 Timothy. You say, why in the world are we having a Christmas message in 2 Timothy? The reason is, is because I've found a portion of the scripture that I can't get away from. And if it's been so impressed upon my heart, I can only hope that I would show it to you. And this is something that we did see last week, 2 Timothy chapter 2. I could show it to you, and maybe it would set with you in such a way as to where you can't shake it either. I love it when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of me with a passage because obviously He wants to teach me something. If you look at chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, look at verses 20 and 21. Now, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver... Gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now let me clear up some confusion that may automatically come to the text. I know we talked about this last week, but I think it's important. Number one, there's only one house. I think it's important that we see that we're not talking about people who were outside of the house and because they've cleansed themselves, they've been brought into the house. That would be work salvation and that's called heresy. But what we're talking about is people who are residents in the house. And there are some of gold and silver, and there are some made of wood and earth. And the way that you get from wood and earth to gold and silver is by purging, cleansing yourself. The way that you get out of a position of not being useful to the master is that you come to him in confession of sin, you come to him humble and teachable, all pride is laid down, All personal preference is recognized as naught before him. And you're desiring for Jesus to be everything that Jesus has ever promised to be in our lives right here, right now. It's living the abundant life. Now, why do I bring this up? Because it has everything to do with how Jesus came to earth. Now, I understand we're getting ready to turn to Matthew 1. So let's all turn there. And we are moving, when you pass Acts 2 going backwards, you transition out of the dispensation of the church and into the dispensation of the law. But I don't think that just because you switch dispensations that holiness was given second tier in anybody's life. It still matters. And I think that this is important to make abundantly clear. Since Jesus Christ has died for every single person, and He has paid the price for sin for every single person, that means that sin is no longer the issue that keeps a person from God. Jesus has taken care of that. The thing that keeps a person from God is unbelief. Their refusal to believe the gospel, that Jesus has died for your sins and that He is raised from the grave, And that he will give you eternal life if you simply believe in him. It is not a matter of how well you do. It's not a matter of what you're bringing to him or what you can accomplish for him. He doesn't need us. 
But he wants us. And once he has us, he now places such great understanding from his word before us, and he allows for the Holy Spirit to reside in us so that when you fuse the two elements together, you have dynamite that changes a person. And that changes unto a goal. We don't just become explosive for the sake of explosions, as cool as explosions are. I like explosions. But, as fun as fire is, his desire is to conform us into the image of his son. But what I think is amazing about that is he doesn't put a noose around our neck and drag us along to the destination. He calls us into fellowship with him. And when we step into the realm of fellowship with him, and let me just give you very simply what that is. It's just believing what God's already told you. We often get bogged down with a lot of checklists and things I need to do and how many books I need to read and all this stuff. I guarantee you, the most, and you guys have walked by my office, so you've seen the monstrosity that is the library of my office. This is the most important book I own. And the reason why I have to have that many books is because I'm that dumb. I have a lot of research to do. <clears throat> now that Pastor Steve is hanging out in the library, I can just go down and actually talk to him. He makes me a much smarter man, so it's good. But where am I going with all this? Are you useful to the master? Somebody said something smart, Alec. What was it? <laughs> you know what? I don't even know what it is. I just need to know who it is. <laughs> Sandy Freitag, what did you say? No, say it out loud because we're going to put it on the internet for eternity. What did she say, Jacob? About what? Oh, she doesn't know. I don't know where I'm going. Just so you know, I'm demonstrating the act of forgiveness right now. <clears throat> Let me remind everybody, there is no Sunday school today. We're driving to Indiana today. It's going to be a long trip, but I don't have to get there till 11 or midnight. I don't care. So we can wait until two or three. Wife can sleep. I'm good. I know all the coffee stops between here and there, so I'm, I'm good. Only vessels of honor are used by God to do his work. I think that's important for us to recognize. Can he work through the freshly saved person? But yeah, yeah, it's, it's usually the freshly saved person who is zealous, excited about their Christianity. And somehow when we started learning more, we got less excited about what we knew. That's completely counteractive to everything that the Spirit-filled life calls us to. Are you a vessel of honor that is useful to the Master? I want to, I want to do something different. Number one, I think, I think church and Christmas is silly. And let me tell you why. We should be thankful for the birth of Jesus every day. Every day. God was not obligated to save a single person in this room or outside of this room. No one deserves salvation. So the sheer fact 
that he made it available is his gift to us. And because he did it the way that he did it, let's be honest, you and I wouldn't have thought of that. We would have just called Scotty to beam somebody down and get it done. But to be born of a virgin who probably suffered social public ridicule because of her condition and to bring forth a child in a horrible situation. Imagine, Jesse, you're pregnant right now, aren't you? 97 miles on a donkey. Think you could do it? Lord, help me. If your husband was like, I'm sorry, we got to go. He would probably die along the way. She would make it. Yeah, I left him back in Capernaum. He's gone. But here's the amazing thing about this. One person that's so overlooked in the narrative about how Jesus came into this world is Joseph. People forget him. And I think that something important for us to do is to look at him. What kind of man was he? God could have picked anybody to bring about the Savior, yes. Why Joseph? Thanks for spoiling the sermon. (laughs) Your talking privileges have been revoked, Jamie. Jamie Craig, America. And so we're going to look at, without any further interruption, the things that made Joseph so amazing on many levels. That God would say, this is a vessel of honor of which I'm going to bring forth my gift to the world. So in Matthew chapter 1, you know when you get those New Year's resolutions and your conviction is to Read the Bible all the way through. But you're going to start in the New Testament because you're comfortable with that. And then you recognize you just put yourself in the middle of a genealogy and then you quit. Don't. There's value there. Then, of course, you start in the Old Testament. Once you hit the end of Exodus and then Leviticus, you quit there too. Don't. There's value there. But look at chapter 1, verse 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac the father of Jacob and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. These are what are known as the patriarchs in Scripture. Abraham being the one of which God had a personal conversation and did something incredibly unique in making an age-lasting promise to this man. Even though you're 86 years old, I'm going to give you a child. But you won't even conceive that child until you're 99. Talk about the odds being against you. I'm going to give you a land to call your own, and through you, I'm going to bless every single person that will ever live. Those are high odds. And yet he made it with this man. This genealogy that we see before us tells us of a rich heritage that Joseph had because he was from the line of Abraham. He's a Jew. He's part of the Jews. Look down at 6. Jesse was the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. David, the king. In fact, the greatest king that Israel has ever known up until this point. From the tribe of Judah. Had to fall in line through so many succession of years. And this gives Joseph his royal 
heritage. In fact, if you ever want to look at this, some people have asked this question, and some of you may know the answer of this, but if you're reading through, you'll say, why is it that Matthew gives me a genealogy, and Luke chapter 3 gives me a genealogy, but somewhere along the lines, it seems like one of them goes off the tracks, or both of them goes off the tracks. How come they don't equal up? Here's the reason why, is because one is from Mary's line, and the other one is from Joseph's line. And what you find is, is when you hit a point with Solomon, and Solomon's brother Nathan, they split. And so you have a bloodline that continues, and you have a king line that continues, and they both meet in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the reason why that's set up that way. God was not making mistakes when he wrote the scriptures. He was just showing something that was way cooler than we had a mind to first grasp. Now, another thing that I think is interesting about this is that if we wanted to be technical about it, Joseph is disqualified from being a king. A lot of people don't know that. In fact, I don't even think I have this up on the, on the board. But if you look at verse 11, Josiah became the father of, see that name there, Jeconiah? Everybody see him? Jeconiah was so evil before the Lord that the Lord brought a curse on him and said, none of your offspring will reign on the throne of Israel. Now that's concerning because God had made a previous promise that the Messiah would come through that way, and we all understand that the Messiah is going to reign, yes? Hence the reason for the virgin birth. So many people say, well, he could have been born of a virgin. He wasn't born of a virgin for two reasons. Number one, he didn't inherit the sin nature from his father because that's where it comes from. It comes from the seed. And number two, if he would have been born of Joseph physically, he would have been disqualified from being king because God still punishes sin despite the promises that he makes. That's just how cool God is. Anybody ever wrapped your mind around that before? Good. I'm starting to see a lot of... That's good stuff. Came to church to get your mind blown. That's good. So not only does he have the background credentials, but watch what takes place starting in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, <clears throat> before they came together... She was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph said, uh-oh. And all the gossip columnists said, nah. And all of a sudden, everybody started talking at the water cooler. Sending out the emails. Picking up the phones. Girl, did you hear what happened to Mary? Imagine the chain of public ridicule that takes place in a situation like this. Well, they were engaged, but it must have happened some way. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. And here's where we start to see the unfolding of this man's character that was deeply ingrained in him. Verse 19. And Joseph, her husband, now watch this, being a righteous man. Does everybody see that? Being a righteous man. Does that mean that he was going to go to heaven when he died and didn't need a savior? Is that what that means? No, we're talking about his personal conduct and how he interacted with people, himself in character of what he was behind closed doors when no one was looking. And the Holy Spirit here gives us a glimpse into his thought process of what's going on. Being a righteous man, look what it says, and not wanting to disgrace her. Pause for a second, fellas. What happens if in, during your engagement period your lady was found to be pregnant? Would you necessarily be worried about disgracing her? You'd probably say, you know what? She's getting what she deserves. She shouldn't have done that. 
And you'd have a lot of creative names to call her. Why doesn't Joseph do that? Why doesn't Joseph lay hold of his rightful response in vindicating his anger on this woman? You say, well, if it's from the Holy Spirit, time out. He doesn't know that yet. Notice there's something deeper. There's something that's taken place in Joseph that demonstrates the character of God. And what is the character of God? Righteousness. He's responding mercifully, mercifully, as God would respond. Look what happens. He planned to send her away secretly. Now, if you know your Bibles and you know Leviticus chapter 20, what did she deserve? Stoning. We know that. She deserved for a group of people who were considered high-ranking in the city to take up stones and to use them as hammers against her skull. What would that do to the child? Think about it. Everybody see how serious this sin is. Now, if the law calls for death, how can Joseph be considered a righteous man when he's not keeping the law? Anybody want to take a stab at that? The law doesn't bring righteousness, but if you were upholding it, would that be considered righteous? It would be because you're in conformity with what God has called for. Put your finger here and turn with me to James real quick. James chapter 2. Let me show you a little principle that I hope attaches itself to you. And next time we think about how we're going to make somebody else pay for a way that they've wronged us, this will come to mind and help us to recognize there's a better way to deal with adversity in our lives. Look at verse 13, chapter 2 of James, verse 13. I'm sorry, Mitch, I don't know that I had this up there. Chapter 2, verse 13. For judgment will be, look what it says, merciless. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What made Joseph a righteous man? He was a merciful man. He was a man that was not in the business of giving people what they deserved. See, this puts us all in a common boat because when we think about what we deserve apart from Christ, we talk about hell and we start talking about death and we start talking about judgment. We start talking about a continual corruption in our lives and we don't deserve for our families to be as good as they are for the blessings that we receive to be what they are. And then we start to recognize God's mercy in spite of what we deserve. In fact, we would go further and demonstrate that as grace. It is the free abundance of God despite what we deserve. That's a good thing. Notice that Joseph wants to make it practical. And so when he should call the city together, expose her publicly, and have her stoned to death, and so lose the life of the child as well, instead he wants to protect her. He's not going to marry her. He can't go through with it. Probably heartbroken. We can understand. But he wants to send her away secretly. And then that's when Jesus gets involved. Look at verse 20. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of who? David. David. Notice, wanting to immediately point out his royal lineage for some reason. Joseph, son of David, 
Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus means Yahweh saves. That's what his name means, Yeshua. It says here, for he will save his people from their sins. Now here's an amazing thing. If Joseph would have allowed for this anger to overcome him and him not respond mercifully in this situation, he would have hardened his heart and he never would have been sensitive to the leading of the Spirit. When we dabble in unforgiveness, gosh, this is such a pertinent lesson with everything I've seen over the past two or three weeks. When we dabble in unforgiveness, bitterness hardens a heart. And when bitterness hardens a heart, you cannot hear God. You are not a vessel of honor. If you want to know what that earthenware and that clay is of that dishonorable vessel, I guarantee you it's what encompasses a hardened heart towards other people. Thankfully, Joseph did not get out of control and take matters into his own hands, but he humbled himself, was merciful towards where he thought he had been wronged, and he was able to hear when God spoke to him. He was a man that was sensitive to the Lord's leading. Look on here, verse 23. I'm sorry, verse 22. Now all this took place, here's Matthew's commentary, to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And watch this. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded. Not only was he sensitive to the leading of the Spirit, but he was obedient to the leading of the Spirit. Those are two different things. You can be sensitive to the Spirit and know that the Lord is calling you to do something. And you can shut him down as quick as can be and become disobedient despite of what he's told you. Well, I don't know if God wants me to do this or not. Well, what does his word say? Well, his word says don't do it. Okay, what are you going to do? I don't know. Those people drive me bananas. Because clearly, if you want blessing, if you want to grow in your intimacy with him, then you know what he's telling you and you do what he's asked of you. It's beautiful that Joseph doesn't ask questions. Notice he doesn't go around looking for Mr. Spirit so he can take him in the backyard and beat him to a pulp. He knows. He gets it. He's sensitive to this, regardless of what may come with it. Don't think that Joseph didn't think through that. But he obeys. And here's what I love, verse 25. This, this is desperately needed, especially in Christian men today. I'm alarmed at the amount of pulpits in America that are being vacated because of sexual sin. Watch this, verse 25. But keep her a virgin, sorry, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. He was a man of self-control. Praise God for men with self-control. Because men without self-control are men who are out of control. And there is enough sin that we have allowed to creep into our Christian lives. We don't need that. 
Something was ingrained in Joseph that not only was he sensitive, not only was he merciful, not only did he obey, but he also understood to treat her with respect and to abstain because it wasn't a big deal for him. He wasn't cowering to his animal passions that were, I don't know, people give such stupid reasons for why they do stupid things. And we're not supposed to use the word stupid in my house anymore, but good grief. (laughs) Moving on frustration so when we step into Matthew chapter 2 we have the whole incident with the magi now the magi didn't come until later notice what you have when they've come verse 11 coming into the house they were no longer in the major they were in a house at this point still hanging out in Bethlehem but going to verse 13 because the magi end up leaving they don't go and tell Herod and it pops back in and here's what we see of Joseph verse 13 Now when they had gone, they being the Magi, behold, angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. Joseph stands as the protector of his family. He had nothing but their best interest and their protection in mind. And when the angel said, get up and go, because there's getting ready to be a slaughter of these firstborn children, it got real serious real quick. Now put yourself in his position. How many of you would up and move to Egypt? Anyone? Even if an angel told you? Some of you would argue with an angel. Well, why? Why? Well, U-Haul's not even open. You'd have some reason why you wouldn't go. But it's amazing. In order to keep my family safe, yes, I will do whatever God tells me. Understand this. Joseph understood a deep-seated principle in the fact that God is the one who ultimately takes care of the family. He just gets to do it through you if you will obey him. Sometimes we puff out our chests like we're macho men. We've got it all put together. That's usually after we got done duct taping something in the backyard, right? I can fix anything. Don't light that grill. So I always bring that up. Why? Because whenever guys get grills for a present or something, they go and buy one. They never read the directions. They just put it together. And until you see some trial runs, you're not eating anything off of that. Be honest. You're just hopeful he comes back with eyebrows, okay? Notice I'm not laughing. Not because I've done that. That wasn't me. I've had enough stories come my way. Regardless, regardless. I think it's interesting to see that Joseph wants to protect his family. And he understands that if he wants to protect his family, the safest place to put his family is in the midst of God's hands. So no questions asked. He gets up and he goes to Egypt. Look at verse 15. He remained there until the death of Herod. Now, if we put all of our timeline stuff together... This was about two or three years' time. Now, not only had he gone from Galilee, from Nazareth, up in that area, 97 miles south into Bethlehem, and been there for quite a while, they had enough time to secure a house finally, where they could be there with the child and the Magi could come visit, but now it's up and don't go back home, go to Egypt. We're trying to save the life of this child. And oh yeah, by the way, you're going to be there until the death of this guy, until he dies. Well, why didn't God just kill him? God's purposes, I don't know. 
Two or three years is how long they were there. How do we know that? Well, we know that because Herod ended up traveling. History books tell us this. Herod ended up traveling to Jericho around 4 BC, and he actually died there. So that means that if we're talking two to three years time, it means that Jesus was born around 6 or 7 BC. It wasn't the turn of the century like a lot of people think it was. So it says here, he remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. Notice that Joseph is a man that exercises great patience. Does anybody here have two or three years worth of patience to live in a foreign land? Something else is going on. Something else is going on. Verse 16, And when Herod had saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became enraged and he sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all in its vicinity from two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. Then what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. But when Herod died, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. Now watch this. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judah, or Judea, remember that's in the south, in place of his father Herod, and that's where Bethlehem's located down there, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee. In other words, he went north. What does this tell us? That, that Joseph was a man of, man of great wisdom and foresight. That he had brains enough to recognize that the child may still possibly be in harm's way. And so he took off in an opposite direction instead of going back to Bethlehem. Moving on here. Verse 23. And he came and he lived in a city called Nazareth. Anybody know anything about Nazareth? No? The English name of Nazareth is Madison. Okay, so that helps you know it a little bit. It was a place where when there was a conversation had, wasn't it Andrew who remarked, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Man, that kind of tells you where it was and what they were doing and what the social climate was of that place. Those people were never going to amount to anything, and yet that is the culture in which the Lord planted his son. A lot of homeschooling jokes probably surround that. But anyway, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Notice that Joseph is incredibly flexible. When's the last time that we asked the Lord, Lord, where do you want me to live? Where would he send you? You might end up on the mission field. Would that be a bad thing? Now, see, we say no because we're in church. In our home, we're like, God, please don't send me to the mission field. When's the last time you asked him that? I love that Joseph would go anywhere where he was sent. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Joseph is completely absent as far as mention in Luke 1. But in Luke 2, we have a pickup and a fill-in of some of the details. Again, Mark and John don't really give us anything about his early life. We know from Matthew 13 that Joseph was a carpenter. It seemed to be well known, their family at least, in that area. 
Chapter 2 of Luke, verse 1. Now in those days a decree was sent out from Caesar Augustus, and for you history buffs, he was also known as Octavian, if you want to look that up, that a census must be taken of all the inhabited earth. And this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And what's interesting why they bring Quirinius up is because he was the administrator of the census. Verse 3, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Now watch this. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, which is in the north, from the city of Nazareth, so that's where he started out at to begin with, to Judea, that's in the south, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Bethlehem means the house of food, is what it means. Because he was of the house and family of David. Now, what was the predicament of traveling from north to south? What did we say? Mary's what? Pregnant. She's not just pregnant, but if you take a look at verse 5, in order to register along with Mary who was engaged to him and was with child, verse 6, and when they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And all you ladies are like, all you're telling me is that Joseph is a man of bad timing. That's all you're telling me. We could easily conclude that. But then we would overlook the fact that, notice that Joseph is a model citizen notice that he just didn't go anywhere to vote how do they want me to do it what are they asking of me what would be in keeping with the laws of the land that's how i'll handle it sweetheart i love you but i'm going to tell a story it's okay because i have eight hours of beating on the way whenever we travel back to indiana I like to drive the speed limit. And Beth said, you know, this trip's taken forever. I said, maybe. She said, you know, I talked to Pete. But the rationale is since Pete used to be with the FBI, he's got something to say about the speed limit. Is that true, Pete? Okay. Just to make sure where our authority's coming from here. And she told me, she said, you know, if you go five miles over, cops don't care. I said, cool. But Jesus does. <laughs> and so I praised God for cruise control, and when it's 70 miles an hour, I hit set. So she said, you know, we're going to go to church. And last time we got out of the house about 8 o'clock, we were able to leave, and we still got there a little late. Why don't you let me drive the first leg? <laughs> sure. Joseph was a model citizen. Any laws or governors or rulers that have been put into authority, we know from Romans 13, are by design of God. And notice that Joseph wanted to do exactly what God wanted him to do. You can still drive first. Joseph was a compliant citizen. (laughs) Verse 5, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child, while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. We often look at this and we say there's nowhere to go. I'm so thankful that Joseph took the initiative to find something. 
Because, ladies, a lot of time when you ask us what we're going to do about a situation that you deem serious, you usually hear the profound and well-thought-out words, I don't know. <laughs> That's usually what you get. And it doesn't instill much confidence in your being. Men, let us take notice that we need to give a little bit more thought to this idea, okay? Joseph went out and got a place. It may not have been much. It wasn't ideal by any standards, but it was something. It was some sort of shelter to make an extremely inconvenient situation manageable. Further evidence of Joseph as a provider, good grief, he was a kind man. And he sought out whatever he could find to make sure that Mary was taken care of. We move on down. Let's go to verse 15. The announcement comes to the shepherds. Verse 15, it says, When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began to say to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then. And see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. Did all of you note that the husband was there? He wasn't in the recliner watching sports. He wasn't taking a nap because good grief, he was so exhausted from her giving birth. He wasn't out passing out cigars going, look at what I did, yay! That didn't happen. Notice he was there. In a country that has an epidemic of fatherlessness, he was there. In a time when guys often find other things to entertain themselves with than being alongside his wife and newborn child, he was there. He didn't immediately go back to work. He didn't say that other things were just going to have to be priority right now and they just needed to wait. He took whatever time was necessary and he was there. When they showed up, he was there. He didn't even take shifts sleeping. All of you that have children know what that's like. He was there. He was there. How about this? Let's keep reading. It's good stuff. Verse 17, when they'd seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about their child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as had been told them. In other words, they were praising God because everything that he said was exactly everything that he did and everything that they saw because that's what God does. He does everything according to the standard of his word. Verse 21, And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, because he was the firstborn child. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer the sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, I want you to see something interesting between 21 and 24. Notice that you have a mention of in 22, the law of Moses. 
Notice in 23, the law of the Lord. Notice in 24, the law of the Lord. If you want to write in your margin, and you probably have it if you have cross-references, Leviticus 12. The entire chapter is worth reading to give better understanding about what's going on here. But here's an amazing thing about Joseph. Notice that Joseph was obedient. Joseph was leading his family in a particular situation of how you reverence the Lord by keeping his law. He circumcised his child on the eighth day. Why? Because the law calls for it. Leviticus chapter 12, verse 3. He waited 33 more days for a time of purification for his wife. Why? Because the law calls for it. Leviticus chapter 12, verse 4. He then brings the child in to be set aside as holy unto the Lord. Why is that? Exodus chapter 13, verse 2. Joseph knew his Old Testament. Joseph knew his God. And Joseph knew that if he wanted blessing on his family, that obedience was paramount. It had to be a family that reverenced the Lord. There's too much at stake to get it wrong. Now, you may not be pregnant with the Messiah, but let me connect these dots for you. There's too much at stake to get it wrong. There's too much at stake to not recognize that you may be a vessel of dishonor with clay and earthenware, and you need to purge yourself so that you will be a vessel of honor that's made and crafted by the hand of the master of gold and silver so that you will be useful when he calls you to step up to the plate. Before this, do you think Joseph had any inkling that this was going to be his life? No. And yet it took incredible turns that the Lord led the entire way and he just stayed humble and faithful in the entire process. Now here's the question. Why is Joseph so, I don't want to say it, so important to God's mission for the world? And, And real quick, just a slight note. In verse 24, they offered up a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. That's from Leviticus 12, 8. Why is that? Because that's all they could afford. You were supposed to bring an animal and sacrifice, and there was supposed to be blood. They couldn't afford that. And so since there was a monetary provision in the law for people who couldn't afford the cost of what that sacrifice may be, this tells us that Jesus was born in an incredibly poor, impoverished circumstances. Verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. That's worth marking in your Bible. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ or God's promised anointed one, the Messiah. And he came in the spirit into the temple. Now that doesn't mean he was levitating just a few inches off the ground, okay? That's probably what we get. It means the fact that he was sensitive to the Spirit's leading, and so he followed where he was told to go. It says here, And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, notice again, being obedient to what God has asked, then he took him into his arms, and he blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. In other words... The Lord was doing exactly as he had all prophesied in the Old Testament to do, and he was carrying it out exactly as he said he would. Now watch this. For my eyes 
have seen your what? Salvation. Salvation. Your deliverance. Your rescue. Your healing. I'm now seeing the way that you're going to save the world. And look what he says. This is profound. Why was Joseph so important to God's mission? Verse 31. Which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. And here's the twofold part of it. A light of revelation to the Gentiles, to the nations, to the pagans. What do the pagans need? They need light. The people around you that you are going to hobnob with over holiday, they need light. They need light. Do you recognize that you have right now on your lips the answer that God can use to bring them from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light? You have the most valuable thing to give this Christmas. And that is the person of Jesus. Not only is he a light to the pagans, but look how else it describes him. And glory. And the glory of your people Israel. Why? Because they already had light and they needed to be lit up a little bit more. It's everything that was ever promised through 39 books of the Old Testament. Jesus Christ, born in Bethlehem, in terrible situations with a father who was overseeing them full of integrity and character and honesty as a provider and a protector, flexible enough, willing to go wherever the Lord led him, patient enough to wait it out until God said to move him, full of self-control and integrity and saying, God, how should we welcome this child into the world? I will follow exactly what you have said to ensure that blessing will be on my family situation. That's not any different than today. You've heard the cliche term, God's gift to the world is Jesus Christ. But I tell you what, it came by extraordinary means. And it needed a person who was already walking with the Lord and who was already useful to the master so that he could be used to bring this child where he needed to be so that he would avoid harm's way and grow up and save every person should they believe in him. Joseph is too often overlooked, but he is an incredible model for you and me. Are you useful to the master? Have you purged yourself? Are you desiring to be a tool in his hands of which he can do incredible and extraordinary things? Let's be honest, guys. Some of you are here and God can't use you. And there's one or two reasons why. Either number one, you're not saved. You don't know him. And salvation's not complicated. Jesus Christ died for your sins. Why? You're a sinner. Well, how do I get saved? You believe in him. You're convinced that that's true. He promises to give you eternal life. You have passed from death into life when you believe in Christ. Now you've placed yourself in a position to where you can be made useful for God. But if you're here and you're a believer in Christ and you've allowed for the world to mar you, if you've allowed for the enemy to dominate you, if you've allowed for your pride to control you, You are not someone who is useful. Today's a day for that to change. Because here's what I know. God wants to do good things through you. So let him. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for the example of Joseph and the incredibly precious cargo that we can't even begin to put a price on. <clears throat> to think in a way that the sins of the world rested on Joseph's shoulders. For him to do exactly what God had asked, exactly when God asked it. Pray, Father, that we're overwhelmed by the gift. Salvation is available. Anyone can be saved. The requirement has been fully met and totally met in Jesus. You ask nothing of us to contribute, but you do call on us to respond to what you've done. And that response is faith. Father, this is grace unparalleled. And you offer life everlasting for every single person that believes. As far as living a life of integrity, thank you for the model of Joseph. I pray that this next week we would stop and pause and reflect upon his obedience, his reverence, his integrity. That he was someone that the Lord could use at any moment if he needed to. Father, help us if we see a dissonance between where we are, and where Joseph stood with you. Give us insight on how to hold your hand and to humbly walk in your footsteps. Thank you for the spirit that makes it possible. Thank you for the word that serves as our guide and our map of how that should be accomplished. And thank you for Jesus who makes it worth it. Thank you for the Son of God, the King of Kings. Pray it all in his name. Amen.